I sometimes hesitate uh, on, on some of the things I'm going to say in some of my introductions sometimes, uh, but it is uh, the way God has gifted me um, in this. And I, I mean that sincerely, so uh, please understand that. Uh, Jesus told us that um, people will know we're his by our love for one another and by our unity, uh, the things he has called us to. But I fear that too often we are known for what we are against rather than what we're for. We are known more for those we oppose as opposed to those that um, we embrace. We're known a little bit more sometimes for our animosity rather than our charity. I was talking with some people this week, and um, it came up about how we, meaning those with a relationship with Christ, uh, about how we too often treat others with particular sins in a manner that really brings shame on the name of Christ. Now, when I say with a particular sin, it's, I'm not speaking of one in particular because, unfortunately, we have segments where you can plug in a different sin. And the way in which those of us who have a relationship with... Hey, Tim, it's good to see you, man. Those of us who have a relationship with Christ, uh, you know, how we sometimes... The way we treat others, I think, brings shame on the name of Christ. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He was criticized by the religious folks of the day for being a friend of sinners, for eating with sinners. What in the world was he thinking in their minds that he would do that? And he was known for being a friend of sinners. But while, while he was known for that, not one single time did he approve their sin. While he ate with them and while he was known as being a friend of sinners, not one single time did he approve their sin. But he treated them as friends. He treated them with respect and kindness. Where you see him coming where he's a little more stern is with those who claim to be religious. What we see as he interacts and is known there as a friend of sinners, he treats those folks with respect and kindness. He eats with them. He spends time with them. He never approves their sin. Now, there is a distinction there, and there's a difference, and you need to, you need to grasp a hold of that. You know, he never approves their sin, but yet he still could, could treat them with kindness and respect. You know, for, we, can stand, you know we can stand for righteousness and truth, while still showing love and compassion, you know, to those who are sinners, even to those who are obvious sinners. We can still stand for righteousness. We can still stand for truth. We can still show them love and we can still show them compassion that even though they are sinners and even though they may be obvious sinners, we are still called to this. This is what God calls us to. This is what Jesus did. And he, you know, he's, he does it over and over again. And I believe he calls us to it as well. 
Now, one of those places in which he did this is found in, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7. So turn there, if you will. Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verses 36 through 50, but we're going to do it, um, you know, in, in a little bit smaller parts. So as you turn there, keep thing, keep your Bible or whatever you're using to read with a handy. And we'll go along there. So Luke chapter 7 is page 950 in the Pew Bible. Drop down to verse 36. Verse 36, it says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who, who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Let's pray. Father, we need to learn from you today. Well, we need to learn from you every day. But this needs, I, I really want this to be your word, your truth, and you have given us your word, and I thank you for the things you have shown me. But Lord, as we gather together here, and the things I say may lead people to think other thoughts of yours, and you teach them. You know, you know the situations they find themselves in the midst of, and you know them even so much better than I ever could, even after a long discussion with one another. You still know the heart even more, even better. You know our heart better than we know our heart. So reveal some of those things to us today that we might, and that we might um, open up to you and have our heart lined up more and more with you, and less and less with the world, less and less with our own desires, but more and more with you. We want this to be a time of transformation, and only you can do that. So, Father, as you work, help us to be obedient servants. Help us to be willing. Help us to be open to you in all things. Here and as we go from here, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house for a meal. This was in their society. This would have been a big deal, a big deal for, um, for many people. Uh, and, you know, you can get to know someone over a meal. You know, I mean, you really can. You can get to know them through a meal. And part of the responsibility of the Pharisee would be to get to know this man who was coming as a religious person, a religious leader who was gaining a following. So part of the Pharisee's responsibility would get be to get to know this person. He needed to know if what he was hearing, if what he was sharing was truth and it was in line with God or whether it was false teaching. So getting together with Jesus here, as he was getting together with him, would have really fallen right in line with part of the Pharisees' responsibility. But you see here, we're told in verse 40, if you look down a little bit, that the, the uh, Pharisee's name is Simon. I think part of the significance, really, of giving his name is to help us see that this was an actual event, not a parable. This is not just a story that Luke is telling, you know, to help us to learn something. This is, he is recording and sharing an actual event uh, that went on in Jesus' life. And what you also, I think, what we have here, too, is, what, you know, when Luke wrote the gospel, I think it's reasonable to assume uh, that Simon would still be alive or someone who knew Simon 
they would have been able to refute uh, this account. Now, these are just my thoughts as I was studying, as I was studying, you know, the, the, I, I didn't run across, uh, you know, any commentaries or anything that, that said this. It was just as I was thinking, as I was reading through this, I thought, well, here's Simon, you know, and, he, and he names this guy showing us not only it's an actual event, but as Luke was putting it out there, then Simon could have said, dude, this never happened, you know, or someone who knew, but, you know, we, we don't see that happen. But again, those are, those are just my thoughts as I was reading through this here. Now we have this, this woman here in Luke, and she has a change of heart, and it became obvious because she began to change her lifestyle. If you say you have a relationship to Christ, if you say that you have a, you see, then what should be happening as a natural part of that is a lifestyle. A lifestyle. For some, it's a lifestyle change of, of more drastic nature than others. If you were raised in a church, you probably behaved a little bit, you know, at least when you were around your parents. Uh, you know, but you at least be, be you know, you at least behave. So, uh, you know, so that change may not be as, as drastic as, you know, some of us didn't come, didn't, you know, weren't raised in a church and, and um, even some who were raised in a church chose to do a few other things that they shouldn't have and had a lifestyle that didn't exactly reflect well on Christ. When we come to a relationship with Christ, a lifestyle should flow from that. There should be some changes in, in a lifestyle, a lifestyle that is in keeping and in line with who Christ is and what he's done and the whole relationship with him. You know, and so it, it's, it's flowing, you know, it should be flowing there from him. And we see for this, for this, this woman, you know, that, that this is what, this is what began to happen. She comes, you know, and, and, and a life has, a life has been changed. You know, talks here about they reclined at the table that's the way they would do a meal like this now this is not like us eating supper in our lazy boy okay that's not that's not what it is i looked for a picture of of somebody eating supper in their lazy boy and i just couldn't find it and i didn't want Ginny to take my picture so um although i guess i could have done that uh, you know but, but that's not what it's like and it's also not like david's painting of the last supper uh you know the um they didn't have the tables and chairs there for that. Uh, I remember hearing about a, a little girl who wanted a picture of Jesus. Her mom took her to the to a Christian a bookstore to see the, the the different pictures and which one she wanted. And uh, she said, I, "I want that one of Jesus playing cards with his friends." <laughs> Just a thought. Just a, just a thought for you, uh, you know. And it, so it's not like this. They reclined at a at a low table. You see, and as they were reclining at that low table, they rested on an elbow, uh, you know, on, on one side on an elbow as they ate. Now, it seems uncomfortable to me, um, you know, and maybe that's just me, but that's, that's what they did. Uh, so you can see as their position there, where it would be easy for this lady then to approach his, to approach his feet. Uh, not sitting at the table where she'd have to crawl under the table or anything like that. Uh, you know, when it talks about this, you know, so, uh, you know, in, in the room, it would have been, an, it would have been open. When it says here that the woman heard that, 
this was taking place at the Pharisee's house. One of the things that happened, it, it was the intent that others could come in and they could listen. They could listen and they could learn from the Pharisee and his guests as they discussed things over a meal. And as they talked, you know, then others could, would be able to learn. Even though they weren't a part of that meal, they could be, you know, the fly on the wall, if you were, and they, and they would be able to learn. Now, as they recline there, this is why it's very easy for this woman then to come in because it's, although it was a meal, it's an open affair, and she can approach and come up by his feet. Now, it seems also it's a well-known fact in town that this particular woman was a sinner. It seems that she led an openly sinful lifestyle. There was no question in anyone's mind, it seemed, about this woman's lifestyle and that it was, she was a sinner. Now, we all know people who, we all know people who are you know, openly sinful with no inclination to stop. You know, now in our society, you know, it's a, our society is a little more accepting of openly sinning. In fact, in our society, some people are quite proud of their sinful lifestyle. Uh, you know, I, I, some of them because they don't care. They ignore God and they're not the least bit concerned. You know, and, 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 and they just don't care. And some are accepting of obvious sin. Because then it makes them look not so bad. And I think this is where we have to wrestle a little bit with our, you know, with ourselves. What we can tend to think sometimes is, I'm not so bad as that guy. Sure, I do this, but I don't do that. We live in a society that accepts, welcomes those who are openly sinful. We need to be careful that we don't use that as an excuse ourselves then to not have that lifestyle transformed as we should be, and it should be because of a relationship with Christ. Now, this woman here in Luke 7, she had a change of heart. It became obvious. You know, it was part of her lifestyle. Uh, do you remember the Samaritan woman? You know, when Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. And um, she, was, she was there. You know, she was somewhat reluctant to be seen, which is why she came to the well at an off hour. Uh, you know, when she was out there, Jesus was really the only other one. That's it. When they would come to the well, it was kind of a social thing. You know, they would be there and they would be there, you know, and they would exchange the news of the, of the day and, you know, visit and have friends and, and talk and interact. This woman came out at a time where that wasn't happening. And as she came out, Jesus is the one who spoke to her. Jesus approached her. You know, he talked to her asking for water. And she was somewhat reluctant to talk to Jesus, if you recall. You know, she said, well, uh, you know, why are you a Jew talking to me, you know, a, a woman, a Samaritan woman? And she was a little reluctant. And as Jesus talked, and pre- you know, Jesus is definitely leading that conversation and, and starts and almost has to somewhat drag kind of information out of her. Turned out she was a well-known sinner in her town. You know, that she had, you know, you're right, the, the man you're living with now isn't your husband, you know. He's, 
you know, what, number five in a line. And, uh, you know, but the whole thing, here in Luke, this woman, who was widely known as a sinner, enters the Pharisee's house. That would get people's attention. It would get people's attention that this woman, who was a well-known sinner, that she comes in and enters the Pharisee's house. What in the world is she doing there? Whatever made her think that she was allowed to come in there. And then she approaches Jesus' feet where it's easy, as you see, it's easy to come up behind him. And she approaches his feet and she is weeping so much that her, that her feet, that her, her tears wet Jesus' feet. That's a lot of crying. That is a woman who was, who was truly moved and touched. And then it says, then she wipes the dirt off Jesus' feet with her own hair. And then she has an a alabaster jar. An alabaster jar, you know, for us, um, I was trying to think, of, uh, maybe a crystal jar or something. See, uh, for us, it was, it was uh, the alabaster was, was not your, it wasn't a mason jar, you know, okay? It wasn't a common thing. Um, you know, it was, it was an expensive container, and so she had this expensive container with this expensive perfume in here. You know, this, well, fragrant oil, it's listed as in some of them. Uh, you know, she came prepared. She was going to anoint Jesus somehow. She was going to, she came prepared to honor Jesus. She came into that meal there prepared to honor Jesus. Now, it took a great deal of courage for this woman to come to a public gathering in a Pharisee's house. It took a great deal of courage for her to reach out to Jesus this way. She's overwhelmed with emotion. She had to overcome any embarrassment, any fear, and any reluctance that she may personally have had. A few things I want us to grasp here. Don't let your current condition keep you from Jesus. Don't let your current condition keep you from Jesus. He welcomes sinners. He welcomes sinners. He died for sinners. He reaches out to sinners. Don't ever let the enemy tell you that you are so bad you can't go to Jesus. He wants you to come. He invites us to come. Don't let your current condition keep you from him. And then also, don't be afraid to express your love for Jesus. This woman was not afraid. You know, others may misunderstand, and there was some misunderstanding that goes on here. We're going to see in a minute. You know, others may misunderstand. Others might accuse you of being a hypocrite or worse. You? What in the world are you doing? What, what are you doing going to the You know what kind of person you are? Yeah, that's why I'm coming. You see? Yes, because I need forgiveness. Yes, because I need cleansing. Yes, because I need to change my life. My life needs changing. Don't let others' presence stop you from showing your commitment to Christ. The fact that, you know, the fact that they're there. Don't let others around you. Anybody here? Um, don't raise your hand. I'm just asking the question. Anybody here the only Christian or one of just a few Christians at work? Probably. I know Kent and I have that challenge. Uh, you know, and sometimes around, around the break table or something, somebody will say something about God or 
just made me something so outrageous, you know, that it kind of makes your skin crawl. But yet we look around and we see who's there and we're just not sure we want to say anything. This woman had to overcome all of those things to express her commitment to Christ. I still remember our pastor, uh, Stan Lemon was our pastor when um, I came to Christ. And I still remember him talking about uh, being in, uh, it was a sandwich shop uh, where you kind of move along as they're making it for you. I think it was Subway, but I don't know. That's irrelevant. But um, And he said that uh, the person who was serving him was taking care of him. Uh, Something happens and she goes, Jesus Christ. And he says, oh, you know him too? I always thought, hmm, I remember that. You know, and I'm just waiting for it. No. Uh, but would we have the courage to speak up? Or would we be stopped because somebody would think, what, are you crazy? You know, don't, don't, don't be afraid to express your love for him. And then don't let others' opinions, real close to that other one, don't let others' opinions keep you from Jesus. Some people will misunderstand you. You know, some people will misunderstand you. Some people will think you have ulterior motives. Don't let that stop you. Still be the person God is calling you to be. Don't let your fear of others' opinions keep you from drawing closer to Jesus. Pick up with me again. Verse 40. I told you not to close your Bible. I hope you didn't. Verse 40. Luke chapter 7. Verse 40. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. Now, just put your finger there for a second. You know, notice what it says. You know, uh, just so you know, both of these are a very large debt. Uh, one denarius was, the, was the, the wage for an average worker at that time. So the 500 denarii would be over one and a half years of wages. That's 100% of those wages working six days a week. Now even 50 denarii, that's about two and a half months wages. Again, 100% of those wages working you know, six days a week. That's a little over, that's a little over 20% of the yearly income. But Jesus points out that neither man was able to pay back their debt. They both had a debt they could not pay. Both of them could not. The amount is irrelevant. It's the inability to pay. They were both unable to pay in their society. In their society, both men could have been thrown in prison over their debt. Debtor's prison never made sense to me, but, you know, they didn't, once again, didn't ask me what I thought. Uh, You know, but to put somebody, you owe me money, so I'm throwing you in jail until you pay me back. I can't pay you back because I can't work because I'm in jail. uh, Anyway, uh, the whole thing is nuts. But the reality is, the reality is, they, neither one of them could pay. 
So whether it was 50 or whether it was 500 denarii, whether it was 50 days wages or 500 days wages was irrelevant. They couldn't pay. Both of them could have been thrown in jail. Or both of them could have ended up having to sell themselves into slavery to repay that debt. Now see, we don't... You may think you're, you know, that your job's slavery. It's not. You're just a whiner. That's part of that gifting again. Uh, it's, you know, the, 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 the reality for them, the reality, this was serious, that they couldn't repay this debt. You know, that was, that was, neither one of them had it. And so it could be serious things. All right, so take your finger up, verse 42. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with, with olive oil, but she anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, Jesus points out very clearly the disparity in the way that Simon interacted with him and the way this sinful woman interacted with him. Simon overlooked the common courtesy of having foot washing at the door. Odd to us, not to them. You know, we have a, we have a, you know, a welcome mat and, you know, you wipe your mud off your feet, you know, and a welcome mat or if your shoes are real dirty, you take them off and, you know, you leave them there. I have this agreement with my, with my, uh, well, it started with our kids at home and I've continued it with my grandchildren now too. Uh, they can keep their shoes on if they don't mind licking them, the sole of that shoe from the heel to the toe. Then you can keep your shoes on in my house. You see, we can take our shoes off and leave the dirt at the door. They didn't have that luxury then, and they'd walk around with sandals and open, you know, open stuff, and their feet would get dirty. So it was a common courtesy, particularly at a meal like this. At a meal like this in particular, to have someone there, a servant, to wash their feet. It was usually the lowest, lowest ranking servant. And maybe that's why, you know, at the, when Jesus washed their feet at the Last Supper, uh, nobody wanted to wash their feet. Why? Well, because I'm a little better than that. I don't know. That's just reading into it, but that's a different sermon. The, you know, the, the, so they, they, Simon didn't even have this common courtesy that was there. It would have normally been there. He didn't even, he didn't even do that. And yet then we're told this woman wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped the dirt off with her hair. An interesting picture. This woman takes Jesus' dirt off of him and onto herself. Physical dirt in this case. Of the one who would take the spiritual dirt 
off of her and onto himself. Simon didn't even extend, you know, the courtesy of a welcome kiss. Again, odd to us, not to them. Think of it as, you know, Simon wouldn't shake his, you know, wouldn't shake his hand intentionally. And it said here, the woman repeatedly kisses Jesus' feet. Now, not only a sign of her love toward Jesus, but also assuming a subservient position to Jesus. You know, showing that she did not see herself higher than Jesus. Did Simon? We only have his actions to judge by. Simon ignored another cultural courtesy of anointing Jesus' head with common olive oil as an expression of uh, an expression here of honoring a guest. You know, this was an expression of honoring this guest. This is one we are honoring here. You know, and, and giving that that mark on him. And here it says, the woman anointed Jesus' feet with expensive fragrant oil. She went above and beyond. You know, she, she had an extravagant expression of honor here. Now, these opportunities, you know, three simple opportunities to show Jesus just common courtesy that they would extend to a guest. Simon ignores them and treats Jesus as less than a normal guest. The woman uses each of these opportunities for an elevated expression of honor and treated Jesus as the one most worthy of honor. Jesus' question to Simon in verse 44 is somewhat comical and also kind of tragic. Do you see this woman? Well, he knew the answer to that. Jesus wasn't looking for information. Yeah, Simon could see this woman and he was appalled that Jesus would have anything to do with her. Verse 38, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and who's touching him. She's a sinner. Simon's view of this woman distorted his own view of Jesus. And Simon's view of this woman distorted his own view of himself. Simon here in this, in, in this interaction, he's focused only on one sinner, the woman. And so, you know, he missed the opportunity to connect with Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, the woman was also focused only on one sinner herself. And so she was able to connect with Jesus and find forgiveness. Look again at verse 42. Since they couldn't pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. Graciously. This woman was impacted by the grace of Christ. Simon was overwhelmed by the woman's sin and he missed the grace of God right there in front of him. The woman, on the other hand, she was overwhelmed by God's grace for her, a sinner. And she responded to the grace of God right there in front of her. Just a few observations for us to remember. Don't be so focused on other people's sin. Or you may miss the grace of God right in front of you. You see, we often overlook the grace of God thinking, we're not really that bad. We think we're not really that bad. Simon was thinking, I'm not that bad. Look at this woman, look at this sinner. I'm not that bad. 
And we can get caught up, you know, we can get caught up on other people's sin and thinking that, that, that you know, we're not that bad and we miss the grace of God, the grace that God has for us right there that he has, that he's, that he's ready for us. And leading right into that, you know, when we easily see other people's sin and we forget that we have a debt to God that we cannot pay. Someone else may sin more than you, but guess what? Someone else may send 500 denarii worth. You may only send 50 denarii worth. But guess what? Neither one of us have the ability to pay. Romans is pretty clear. For how many have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? What's that say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can get so caught up in other people's sin sometimes that we think we're okay. The amount of sin is not the issue. It's the presence of sin that is the issue. I've asked you before. I gave you a glass. A glass of nice, clean, pure water. And I just put one drop just one drop of urine in there would you drink it it's not the amount you see it's the presence it's not the amount of our sin it's the presence of sin that matters you know and we forget we forget that presence of sin in our life gives us a debt that we cannot repay. A debt that we cannot pay to God. Simon made this woman feel like a sinner. Simon made this, made this woman feel dirty. Jesus treated her with love. And made her realize she was forgiven. Not that it was okay. Don't get that impression. He didn't make this woman feel like it was okay. He made this woman feel like she was forgiven. And it moved her deeply. He, he treated her with love, made her realize she was forgiven. Verse 48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And in case she didn't catch it again, in verse 50, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Focus on ministering the peace of God to others. Focus on ministering that peace of God to others. Forgiveness in His name. Forgiveness by His sacrifice. Focus on ministering that to them. He has taken his, their sin upon Himself at the cross. Let them know that. That they too can be forgiven. And here's, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. When you see someone in sin, realize they need reconciliation with God, not your condemnation. They don't need your condemnation. They need reconciliation with God. They need to know that they can be forgiven. They need to know that, that Christ will take a, his, their sin upon themselves, that he has taken his sin upon himself. Simon focused on condemnation. He focused on condemning this woman who was a sinner. Jesus focused on reconciliation. You want to be like Simon? You want to be like Jesus? 
Be like Jesus. When you have those, but they're a sinner moments, just remember, so are you. Simon couldn't get that. The amount of sin isn't the issue, it's the presence of sin. Help them come to find forgiveness in Jesus. Help them come to be reconciled with Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding me how important it is to tell others about you. Not to let them know what a horrible person they are. But to let them know what a loving God you are. Not to point out to them the vileness of their sin, but to point out the graciousness of your forgiveness. Lord, I don't want to be a one who just points out the condemnation. I want to be someone who can show them the reconciliation that is found in you and in you alone. Help us, too, to continue to live as transformed people. People who know not only the love of Christ, but who know a changed life and changed living because of your grace. That we would be overwhelmed by your graciousness that we wouldn't stop because someone else is around us and we think that they might think less of us that we wouldn't hold back living for you because of the pressure of others that we wouldn't hold back living for you because of the sin in our lives but that we would come to you for forgiveness for cleansing with your abundant and abounding grace. Help us to be reconciled with you. Help us to help others be reconciled to you. Don't let me be condemning. Help me to be an agent of your reconciliation in the lives of others. I ask that for all of us. In Christ's name, amen.